Hi, and welcome to BoobTube, the podcast where smart women talk about what they're watching and not watching. I'm Sarah Whitus. I'm Amanda Teuscher. And we're back again. Um, we, what, what, so the Golden Globes were this week. I just want to like, we're going to yeah. talk a little bit about it. Like, but did you, I just want to know, did little. you watch it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like literally very briefly, and I don't even have anything to say about any of the television um, like aspects of it at all. But I'm so glad, you know, you know, there's a lot of great things about the, the vaccine uh, coming out. But I think that the best thing is that we're really on the horizon of, um, you know, the end of Zoom awards shows. <laughs> I think that's 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 what you know, I'm looking forward to the most. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like uh, saving lives. Sure, that's fine. I guess. Yeah. But, but but like no more awkward Zoom award shows. Yeah. Thank God. Um, I mean, I don't know. We're. It's funny. We're actually. We're also like actually recording. I think a mere, maybe three or four weeks after we recorded last time. <laughs> which is kind of pretty a, good for us kind of kind of great yeah 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 i i we're yeah we're like we're doing pretty well clearly we didn't really come up clearly uh in our document the intro banter section where we like <laughs> is empty <laughs> yeah but also like we did just talk for 20 minutes before we started <laughs> recording right. so yeah i think we need problem. to learn to turn on our mics sooner Right. We literally talked about one of the shows we're going to talk about for <laughs> a solid 20 minutes <laughs> before. We're like, yeah. wait, we need to, we need to start recording. We're not going to want to Yeah, guess this you'll at you'll all. have to guess which show it is we talked about and you'll be able to tell mm-hmm. by the the level of enthusiasm I have to rehash things. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's like Amanda I mean, sounds I... really tired. I think they might have already talked about this show. <laughs> yeah, we, you like get confused about what we already mentioned. Um, <laughs> I mean, I guess in the absence of content in our intro banter section here, I guess we can kind of get right into it. I guess we can. It seems I mean, weird. how are you, Sarah? So, I mean, I'm fine. Um, you know. I was I was also saying I've had a bit of a home improvement. Um, I don't know why I thought week. you were gonna say home invasion. <laughs> I've had a bit of a home invasion. Don't <laughs> don't worry about it. Um, um, no, I was. You I did home was improvement. A, yeah, no, in that Her? I guest starred on the classic nineties um, sitcom. I feel like that wasn't home very improvement. good, but I tried to do the sound that was at the end of the home improvement intro. Oh. Is that how it ended? I think I just With end like up sounding weird... like Scooby Doo when I do it. Yeah, <laughs> that's um, that's correct. Yeah. Um, I, I was the weird neighbor with that you never see. Wilson. Um, Wilson. Yeah, yeah, that was me this week. Um, no, I was attempting to recock our bathtub, and it was truly hell on earth. And remind me to never attempt to improve my home ever again. Ugh, yeah. Um, because it was awful, and uh, it kept me from watching TV the last couple of nights, um, which I did not appreciate. Um, I don't also. either. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> uh, you cannot hire me to clock your bathtub, just if anyone's wondering. I will not. It's always funny. Not such a, be helping. Such a child. Anyone with that process. Um, 
I mean, yeah. So, I, I mean, I'm okay. How are you? Yeah, you know. I mean, drinking wine in a closet. I'm drinking wine in a closet. Actually, the, the thing is, that's great. Right. Like that's it is, the it, it, it ain't, it, you're doing anything <laughs> if there's wine with you. Like it's not that you can't you can't be that upset. And yeah. I'm talking to a friend, and I'm drinking wine. I just happen to be sitting in a closet, but right. it could be a much smaller closet. It could be a smelly and, closet. It could be a haunted closet. Um, there's a lot going I for this closet. I hope it is still a haunted closet. But I mean, that I mean, would be really fun. But I mean, I also for the v- listeners, pandemic or not, you'd probably be sitting in that closet because yeah, you know that's how we record podcasts and right, the year right. And sometimes I just go in here to escape the music from across the street. So uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, you are lucky that you have a closet that's like ten by ten or something. Maybe it's not that big. I mean, but. I mean, I it, you could tell me it's twenty feet by twenty feet, and I'd be like, that seems <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, what is sure? I have no, yeah. I have no sense of like crowd. I remember like when I would have to like cover events when I was like younger, like in college for journalism school or like internships, and they would be like, how many people were there? I'm like, I, I have no idea. I would always have to contact the police for like the estimates because I couldn't, which you're generally supposed to do anyway. You're not supposed to just be like, there were a thousand. Like, <laughs> it was but, probably 40. But yeah. I would always be so off. I'd be like, there were definitely like 50 people there. And they'd be like, well, there are 420. And you're like, oh, <laughs> yeah. okay. And then I'd be like, thousands of people. And they go, I think there were like 100. So the only way I would ever be able to do it was just imagine my graduating class of 400 people. And I would just be like, mm-hmm. about how many, like, commencement auditoriums are this and <laughs> anyway the point is i have no head for like gauging quantities like square foot like you i have no idea when people are like this house is thirty thousand square feet I, I i don't know what that means that's big is that big Keep that in i mind. was actually yeah, i said thirty thousand. i'm like someone's gonna laugh at me and no say that's, that's like a, a gig- that's no that's like a gigantic mansion uh Let's, of epic proportions oh, okay Maybe your average house is like 2,500 square feet or something. That seems so small. Yeah, maybe 3,000 for like a a nice larger sized house. Oh, Um, Oh boy, I was way So, you know, I actually tried to measure, well, I did try the other day to measure um, my bedroom because we want to do some painting in there. And I was was trying to figure out how big it was. And I actually did just... I did just like walk across the floor kind of you know lining my feet up one after another and that was turned out to be terribly inaccurate my feet are well your feet are not a foot long Sarah is this this the first time you discovered that you're like what size six feet are I thought that it would maybe be approximate and it turned out okay even I know that that's crazy (laughs) it was absolutely far off nope was not correct at all. Um, yeah, it was wrong. <laughs> I love but so the I, idea you know. of you with like feet <laughs> that are feet. a foot long. Like that's so funny. You just be wearing. I wear seven shoes. and a half. Excuse me. Excuse oh, me. Oh, do you really? Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh. I mean, I wear. I wear. I wear size nine, so I'm not like. You know, I I don't think those are big yeah, feet. Yeah, so it's but... not like no, they're not. They're average feet. Yeah. Um, we've gotten way. See, uh, at first. This, this is, is why we problem. don't write down intro banter. Exactly. <laughs> this is what happens when you don't outline the banter. Is that yeah, you get we eight just minutes go, in the podcast talking about feet. Which is yeah, we're just talking about like. Okay, we we should talk about TV. Yeah. Uh, all right. Should we should we Fine. start with, uh, search party? 
Yeah, let's start with Search Party, which, nice. you know, someone finally listens to old Sarah. Someone finally listened to you. <laughs> which is funny because you and I had briefly complained this week about people not listening to us. Um, right, right. Some friends of ours were like, oh, this this, this great pottery throwdown show. Uh, no one told me about like, that. Thanks, like, thanks mm-hmm. this other person for telling me. And I'm like, I yeah. have been... I watched that when it was on YouTube. Like I knew Excuse it before. Me, we it was did a cool. whole segment about this like six months ago. Yes. Yeah. I get it's so funny because I'm so absolutely delighted, absolutely tickled when anybody listens to our podcast. Like when one of our friends is like, Oh, I liked how you're I'm always like I'm amazed that people are listening. And then when I recommend something on our podcast and I found out that someone didn't take the recommendation and right. like listen to it later, I'm incensed. So I was like, Live it. <laughs> just like, I'm like, you don't listen to my podcast where I already recommended this show. Right. Um, anyway, I finally took your recommendation mm-hmm. to watch Search Party and I absolutely loved it as we both knew I would. Um, it was really fun. We, uh, I was watching it alongside like basically at the same rate um as our friend of the pod patrick um Mm -hmm. who started at the same time so it was really fun to like text with him because we were both experiencing it for the first time um and it's a really fun show to watch that way because it does take so many twists and turns um it does yeah and it's like like old-fashioned plot twists like not not like the plot twists of like like oh everything you thought was wrong it's twists like you're Almost, on a road. There's, and it just, there's a little bit of that. There's a little but... bit of that, but like not in the sense of just like, oh, everything, the world is turned upside down. It's like a plot right. twist as if you're like going down a road and you take a turn. Like suddenly right. it becomes a different narrative. And the show does that so well, especially through the second season, um, which was just so much fun. Um, and I think my favorite was the third season, which I was not expecting because it was like courtroom, but I thought it was, yep. I laughed out loud it's so many times. so funny. It's so funny. Um, oh my God. Dory's lawyer. Uh, I, also Drew's lawyer, Louis Anderson. Louis Anderson was uh, so All of funny. the lawyers, all of the lawyers, Michaela Watkins. I know I wrote the in the doc, like DA. I just like watch hours <laughs> of like courtroom drama of Michaela Watkins with, versus uh, Shalita Grant, the woman who plays Dory's lawyer, who is... They're so funny. So funny. She does this perfect vocal fry when she's talking, this very millennial vocal fry. She's like, ladies and gentlemen of the jury. And it (laughs) doesn't become annoying. She does it so well. Good afternoon, everyone. Members of the jury. Fellow attorneys at all. Um... In an unpredictable coincidence, my opening statement also began with imagery of a young girl on a playground. It was different, but not different enough for me to want to still do it, so. Um, Here comes some improvisation, so. This question is for the ladies in the room. Have you ever felt while walking down the street at night that there was someone behind you watching you? I'm sure you've had this experience. And I know for a fact that my client, Dory Seif, has. This is what I, this is to me the the incredible genius of this show. And like, I think that, um, you know, it just 
they no one overstays their welcome yeah if anything you want more i was so mad when shalita grant wasn't in the fourth season i was like no i need more of her right like no one overstays their welcome and they they it's just the kind of perfect amounts of each character you know so that it you know because it would be so easy to overdo these characters are so big yes that it would be so easy to overdo them in particularly chantal i think this like plays into oh my gosh. to me this yes. is like the most evident with with chantal and, and claire mcnulty who plays her but like i was thinking about that because you had told me beforehand more. like <laughs> she's so funny she's this like she plays this asshole idiot like hilariously and you were so right because whenever she'd come back on the screen, she's such an annoying character, but when she's, she's back so on the screen, annoying. you're excited to see her again. Exactly. She's so funny. You're always happy to see her again. And like, I mean, I think in particularly right in the fourth season where she just gets the one episode, um, <laughs> yes. where they, the, the kind of check in with her, which is so good. Oh, and it's like, you know, so it's only, so she only gets one episode, but she gets the whole episode. Yeah. And yeah. it's just the perfect amount of her like going on this talk show and and just the joke being throughout the show that she's an idiot. She's so dumb. <laughs> she's so dumb. She gets like like bamboozled by uh, Walter Sh- or Wallace Shawn. It's so good. Um, <sighs> yeah, I I feel like the only character you get really sick of is uh, Dory. Like I I don't right. think it's Aaliyah Shawcott that's like there i think it's just that the they especially in the fourth season i kind of just Mm -hmm. got like i wasn't you get well you get fed up with her you definitely get get fed fed up up with with her her in the third season where you're like you're like i'm not rooting for you anymore i hope they find you guilty like you're Mm -hmm. a bad person um but there's also just like nothing there that makes her interesting anymore because it's almost like two-dimensional she's just this conniving person and i think the fourth season was trying to bring you back into being like okay no she had she clearly has identity issues um and mm-hmm. that and it's trying to hint at that but i f- still felt like the fourth season i wanted something more from the end that like mm-hmm. gave me not like a hint of where the show was going next but of just the promise of something crazy and i think the way this the fourth season ends you're just kind of like okay i guess that was like that twist I'm talking about before, where it's just like, oh, what you thought from this this entire episode is wrong. Mm-hmm. It's actually this. It wasn't quite in keeping with the way the show had maneuvered up until then. Yeah. And I mean, we're talking a little bit about the specifics of, of the, the most recent season that, that just aired. Yes. And, you know, in case you, uh, you know, haven't haven't watched the most recent season yet, um, you may want to avoid this. But, you know, I... I think that um, the fourth season was a big risk. Yeah, you know, I think especially with the show, um, it's it's very tonally different. Yes, from the other the other uh, seasons, and I think that I read I read kind of some things where, you know, I personally preferred the back half of the season where things kind of returned to the comic pace that we're more familiar with for the show whereas the first few episodes i felt like once the gang got back together in like the sixth season where they were looking for 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 dory i was like okay this feels better yeah yeah the first few episodes i mean 
I remember watching the first couple and I was like, oh, I'm very stressed out. Yeah. And I haven't really laughed at all, yes. you know, through the first couple of episodes. And that is unnerving to me. And I don't really like it. I want to get back, you know, but I think that in retrospect, as a whole kind of, as a whole, you know, work, I think that the first few episodes are really good. And, and, and I'm I'm really impressed just like, I said with the riskiness of it, but I definitely preferred the last few episodes of just, you know, I want this to be funny. <laughs> yeah. And um, like when, also, can I just say that the scene where they're going around the traffic circle, where both Susan oh my, and the gang truly that one of the funniest things I've him. seen in months. I, that's so good. Oh. <laughs> in months. The Susan Sarandon presence, I thought yes. was uh, brilliant. Um, she was so Cole, good. Cole Escola over, I mean, just astounding. Like, he is. I love him. Wonderful. Um, but yeah. him, him, you know, basically doing Susan Sarandon drag, as it turns out, is like. <laughs> I know. And I, they saved the, really like, funny. so many episodes, like eight episodes. You don't know that he's dressing up as Susan Sarandon. Right. It's so great. <laughs> um, so good. Uh, I just. Oh, my God. I loved it so much. Um, um, I yeah. Also, just... also, the whole plot line. Wait, just really quick. What yeah, do yeah. you think of the, the Drew plot line with his weird Disneyland girlfriend. Oh, that was so goofy and weird. But I was so so I was gonna say that like the the first the pilot episode, if anyone hasn't started this and you watch the pilot and you're just like, I can't handle this boyfriend Drew. Um, (laughs) Which was also my reaction. Yeah. Yeah, because I texted Sarah, I'm like, I can't handle this guy. He's like every terrible boyfriend of like all my friends, like this, this guy sucks. Um and so it's like he didn't. He, they didn't really know what to do with him in the pilot. Just keep watching. He gets better, and he does become such a great straight man to mm-hmm. the rest of them. Like he, because they give him enough like idiosyncrasies and weirdness, so that he's not. You don't ever think like, why is he friends with them? You know, um, right? But I oh, he's very funny. Yeah, he's so he's really funny. Um, I. I think that, right. I mean, he definitely goes through some, like, wacky, it just, (laughs) a whole thing with his, like, job in the office. I mean, there's some, I I, I appreciate how the show also just kind of picks up plot lines and drops them, like, which happens a few different times, I think, like, things just sort of meet a dead end and I, I think that like I don't know to, I don't I want I think it's intentional sort of where we're just kind of bringing in things for jokes and then dropping I think them. yeah it's, it's for jokes like, yeah I was gonna say I yeah think, and that's the okay things just serve well yeah which is fine I mean it's not like right it's I, a comedy I think it's, it's, a, it's a dark comedy exactly it's supposed to, that's okay yeah you can bring in like plot elements just to to lose them again and you know I think that um oh god I just it's so good it's so good and like i like i was saying before when i was talking about it it's just like everything that i look for in a show i Mm -hmm, think and mm -hmm, just same the the tone and you know how funny it is and how weird it is and yeah um oh god yeah i i can't believe i slept on on search party for as long as i did either yeah so 
And it um, also has something else I love, which is just cast of characters. Um, uh, you know, it's why I love USA Today shows. USA mm-hmm. Today. USA Network? That's what it's called. USA, USA Network. Network. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Characters Welcome. Um, that's a joke. I actually don't characters like, watch <laughs> many of those. Though I do. I bet I could sit and watch a lot of them. I like that show Psych. That's great. Um, oh, but actually, I really hate Monk. Characters Welcome. That Tony Shalhoub show. Oh, Monk sucks. Yeah. Remember okay, so now like maybe I thousand... don't like all USA Network shows, but... It won, like, a thousand Emmys back in oh the day. Oh, my God, yeah. Just like, look at this asshole with OCD. Um, yep. So, but no, I think the cast of this is really good, and it reminded me a bit in that way of Arrested Development. It's not the same, like, absurdist humor. Um, it's definitely a little bit darker, but the... And the writing of Search Party is obviously really good. And the jokes land. It's very funny, um, as we've been saying. But -hmm. I feel like the show wouldn't be nearly as good as it is without the way the cast plays off each other, their chemistry, and how funny just the individual actors are and all the guest stars that they bring in. Um, Mm -hmm. Specifically, like, John Early. His character is kind of awful, and yet oh, absolutely. I, I love him so much and he makes me laugh like I was cackling at different moments that he would when, like there are two that I can think of right now like one is when he like comes in at the end of the first season to this like a murder scene and he doesn't know that someone's been murdered and he just like bursts open the doors <laughs> and yells out I love my publishing team and then like the other part where he's like on the, that show with the um, the Fox News type conservative blonde uh, yes, host, which I thought and was such a good. She's just yeah. like excoriating him, and then he just comes out and just decides to just pretend that she farted. And I was losing <laughs> it. I was like, "That's it was so brilliant. I love him so much." Welcome back to Open Fire with Charlie Rainey. I'm your host, Charlie Rainey, and joining me today is the man who helped his friends bury a body, Elliot Goss. I'm sorry. Did you fart? What? Oh my. God. God, I can't believe that much smell came out of you. I mean, you were too tiny to make that much smell. It's sick. People, I didn't fart. Oh, God. Oh, God. Yeah, you guys, right? You too? Yeah, even the producers can smell it. It's that disgusting. Did you? Oh, my God. Did you eat an old ostrich egg? I don't fart. I don't fart. John Early is Give just, him an Emmy. Give him all the... I mean, he just... He's so funny. He's so funny. But yeah, Everyone all these is. people, they're not, they don't become annoying. They're just, uh, it's really well done in that way. So, um, yeah. Watch yeah. Search Party. Yeah, please. Yeah. And you'll see, don't, like, this don't is. Don't be like is, us. Yeah, don't be, don't, don't, don't be like forever. this joker here. Um, yeah. And I watched, so since we last talked, I watched all four seasons. I mean, granted, each episode <laughs> is only like half like an hour. like 20-ish so, minutes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it was not a heavy lift, but I did finish it in less than a month. So yeah. you can too. I think that I had also, oh, I, I'm, I think, because I had watched the first three seasons right. and then last you watched summer, the, and yeah. I think that was in also in the space of like two weeks or something. Easily. So. Yeah, and I was yeah. I was deliberately pacing myself with it. I could have watched an entire season in a day. Um, yep. You know, if I had nothing to do, I could just sit. And now I have nothing to do. So you know. <laughs> I was thinking about just watching it over again. So <laughs> I would watch the third season over again for sure. Yeah, 
absolutely um, so good yeah uh i love it um the wedding scene too oh my god the oh yeah oh yeah with the and Mer- meredith with the, ha- is it meredith hagorn hagorn i think the who plays Portia? uh yeah i'm not sure how to pronounce that was it another exactly. moment when she gets kidnapped and the yeah and they the, there's rats that are threatening her and she, they go for the pudding cups and she's like hysterical and she cries they ate the pudding cups instead I, per, it's perfect pitch perfect can I just say one more thing yeah um, that I just kind of like speaks to the utter weirdness of this show but um, the fact that the last season is set without any explanation in the town of Babyfoot, Babyfoot Massachusetts <laughs> I cannot tell you. I lost. I just like that joke. I still I I still am referencing Babyfoot, Massachusetts to myself all the time. Easy because I live in Massachusetts, but I <laughs> am like every time I'm like thinking about like we should go, you know, out to Western Mass or something like we need using babyfoot for the rest of my life. And it's like, so funny because they you find out later that it's called that because it's shaped like a baby's foot. <laughs> like the entire town. They like mention that yeah. the like the entire the town's boundaries are shaped like a baby's foot. And you're like, what makes that different than a regular foot? That is so funny. That is such a good joke. So funny. I just can't. Like what even does a baby foot uh, look different? Like it, in the nope. context of how a town is shaped. I love it. <laughs> oh my god. It's really good. Um I guess we can. I guess we can move on. Although I could talk about. Search I know, Party. especially since the next uh, show we have on the dock yeah. is not quite it's as real, fun. Real downer. Yeah, yeah, tell me about that. So I started the and the the Alan the Pharaoh documentary on HBO. It's a four part mm-hmm. series. As we're speaking, it's the first two episodes have aired. I think the next one is in a few days. Um, and it's good and i right now i recommend it um for but um and i've been reading a lot of reviews about it because it's it's pretty fascinating um and i had debated whether to watch it because Mm -hmm. i think probably like you and a lot of people who listen to us talk our opinion of woody allen is pretty firm already um, it's a low, I would say a decidedly low yeah. opinion. Hold him in low esteem. Yeah. Yeah. Um, pretty gross dude, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm kind of like, why do I need to watch a multi-part documentary series about this traumatic, you know, these allegations from Dylan Farrow? Um, it's not going to change my opinion, and it's not going to persuade me, persuade me the other way because it's definitely from the point of view that Dylan Farrow is telling the truth um, but I ended up watching it um, and I'm, I'm really glad I did because it's made me think a lot um, about just I mean for one thing it really shows the absolute like turmoil that Alan's predatory behavior allegedly caused within the family and just how um easy it is for men with any sort of power whether it's cultural or political or um force you know to elude justice um Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. you know you have all these people saying these things and yet this man has still made a movie every year and gets famous people to work with him and defend him um 
So in that way, it's uh. definitely thought provoking where you're just kind of like, oh, this is interesting. And it's also interesting because it's deeply personal. You have all these home videos that Mia Farrow shot from their country house in Connecticut of her and like her, you know, all her kids. Um, and and you hear the kids talking and then you, you hear the, the accounts of like, oh, when they first discovered these um, pornographic photos of Suni that Woody Allen had chosen, like she has a t- like. It's like deeply personal. You're like watching this. You're like, this is a family's business. Like, I, why is this being tried in the court of a public opinion this way? I mean, obviously, it has already gone to court, but you know, um, mm-hmm. it feels strange, and it makes you really think about what makes someone a public figure. And I do think that obviously Woody Allen is a public figure, and this is a fair game sort of documentary. Um, and he apparently and Suni declined to participate in it. Um, they said that they weren't given enough notice or time, which hmm. is fair because these are all like, you know, they would have to consult their lawyers and everything. And I just seeing how this documentary is laid out, I like wouldn't be surprised if the filmmakers kind of were counting on them not being able to participate because that would have kind of complicated how they presented the information. Sure. Um, yeah. But but it, it, it is. It is really engrossing in a very true crime sort of way Mm -hmm. um which you know i'm not saying is a good thing necessarily but um i have read reviews you know criticizing the filmmakers um sort of preconceived uh orientation in this um some of the reviews are kind of hard for me to read because i'm just like it's like awful what, to read about. Yeah. yeah, but also just the, the way the reviewers that are inclined to, you know, def- defend, not even defend Woody Allen, but just criticize the documentary. I just, I'm inherently mm-hmm. mistrustful of them. Sure. But I feel like Definitely. that's an interesting exercise because it, it gets me to second guess, like, well, what is it that, you know, um, makes me you know, mistrustful of people that are saying, well, you should hear, you know, this other evidence that exonerates him in this way, you know, like, why would I not want to hear that other than that? It's, you know, not the narrative I want to already believe. So Hmm. it's, it's, it's tricky in that way. And I'm going to keep watching it because I'm, well, I'm curious in the way I mentioned before that it's just engrossing, but I also, um, at this point, I'm like, well, there's two episodes left and, I want to know more. And I, I it, for me, I don't understand why you just wouldn't believe. Um, I mean, Dylan Farrow, I think, said it herself. She was like, why is it so hard to believe? Like, why would it be easier for you to believe that I was um, uh, brainwashed into telling this story than it is for you to believe that my father molested me? Yeah. So. I mean, my and my question about it, you know, had been and it seems like this isn't the case, but like my my question had been like, you know, was this kind of a, a situation like with the Michael Jordan documentary where we can kind of conveniently leave out, you know, flaws of our of our main yeah, you know, of our sort of hero of the story yeah. Because it's like produced by him, but it does it does and you know it doesn't appear that that is the case. No, it just I seems looked like up all the, the producers of, and like Pharaoh's yeah. not, she's not one of them. I think that right. she was definitely you know maybe her lawyers contact the the, the filmmakers. Um, I think it would also be a main part of the story if that was the you know like it wouldn't be it would yes. be 
you know, that would obviously be a, a key thing that we would be talking about in conversation with a, yeah. with a piece like this if it was sort of commissioned by her in any way, you know. Right, right. Or yeah, by I think or it's like possible. That. I mean, who knows? The the filmmakers are uh, Kirby Dick and Amy Ziering, who have done other um, documentaries about sexual assault, one about sexual assault in the military and another one about on college campuses. Mm-hmm. So who knows if like Mia Farrow's publicist had reached out to them after seeing their other documentaries, you know, they're inclined. This is clearly what they do. You know, who knows? Mm-hmm. It's also just as possible, if not more probable that they reached out to Farrow's team and were like, we would like to now do a documentary on you because we already believe you. Um, right. It's very clear that they started this already believing her. Um, right. I think to your point about, does it feel as if, you know, or yeah, we would have heard if this was like a Pharaoh project. It does sort of feel that way sometimes, though. Um, mm-hmm. Something I wrote in the doc is that they emphasize a lot in the first episode and then even in the second that Mia Pharaoh is the like consummate mom, that all she ever wanted to do was be a mother. And so she had she had um, kids with Andre Previn, her um her second husband after Frank Sinatra and then they adopted kids and then they her and Woody Allen adopted uh Dylan Farrow and then had together they had um Ronan and I'm not going to step into the the Is issue really? of Ronan Farrow's right. um <laughs> parentage yeah but um right. uh I think I I think I know what I suspect is you know true but anyway um yeah yeah and then um, and of course, one of the the kids that she adopted with Andre Previn was Suni, who is now married to Woody Allen. Um, but yeah, you're watching it, and it's very much like there's all these home videos of Mia Farrow just being the sweetest mom, like like doing like fake you know movies with like kids in their country house in Connecticut, like of like you know a a swamp creature coming out and just her just talking to her kids and, you know, just like, Oh, what are you going to do today? And her just describing how much she loves them. And you're watching it and you're just like, either Mia Farrow is a saint come from heaven to be a mother. And all she ever wanted to do in life was be a perfect mother. Or this is just very calculated, not calculated might even be the wrong word, but, but very like strategically presented. Um, Sure. In a way that you again, wonder, they definitely seem to have, yeah, you know, they seem to have an, an opinion and, you know, are going to present, right, their kind of interpretation of the facts. Yeah, you know? and I think something I was saying to you before was that, you know, there's a way to do that where okay, you know, people watching this, there's probably not that many undecided people watching this, and if you are undecided in the watch this, I'm sure you would actually have a lot of questions about the filmmaker's bias that would make you not necessarily be certain because it's so heavy-handedly pro-Faro. So I'm not really sure that it's designed to convince. And that's okay, you know, like we were talking about before, documentaries don't have to just be, you know, like even-handed, like recitation of court documents, right? Um, Mm -hmm. But if you're as the documentarian going to be a stand-in for the audience searching for the truth, I have to know that you are approaching it at the same place as me or had originally started at the same place and then got there. And you have to kind of see that, um, that journey in a way 
not like mm-hmm. through the whole course of the documentary, but just like have a sense of where they originally came from so that you can, you know, go along with their, their search for the truth. And in this, um, I'm not sure that that's quite there, but, um, yeah, but it's, it's good. And I, you know, one thing as you're watching it specifically in the second episode, which I found really disturbing, is just the, um, the grooming that Woody Allen, um, to my mind, clearly did, um, mm-hmm. with Suni, uh, mm-hmm. Cause she just... was how old when she was like, well, they, I think they, when said that they got she married was... when he, she was like in her early twenties or something. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like the affair happened when they were 20, the documentary makes it sound as if she was 17 and it was her senior mm-hmm. year of high school. And I haven't mm-hmm. like seen, and like at one point Mia Farrow even like mentions that they, she started lying about her age. Um, which I don't know. I, I, I don't know what to, I don't know. I don't know how old she is. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. but she was young and by all accounts, she was really shy. She had been, um, an orphan, I think in Vietnam and her and Mia Farrow had adopted her when she was older. So she was really withdrawn and, um, not as outgoing as the other kids, according to this documentary. So mm-hmm. it's possible that Woody Allen saw, you know, like, a real you know opportunity i don't know um they've they put in a bunch of footage from all of his movies because they all have like older men with younger women um yeah and the way they splice it it's like really disturbing um which is that didn't you know i'm not saying that that was um strategically done because i've always found woody allen movies kind of gross in that way if like the older man with the younger woman anyway that's gross to me but um yeah there's some of the old footage they'll show of like where they'll have the footage of like Woody Allen with Dylan and the whole th- what they're saying is that he was a very smothering obsessive sort of presence toward mm-hmm. her and so they'll have videos of him talking to her but then they'll overlay it with someone like a family friend or one of the siblings talking about it and they'll have like really creepy music and it'll be in slow motion you're kind of like am I actually seeing him being overbearing as they're letting me or is it that I'm suggested that this is him being like is he just talking to her in this this little home video right. you know what I mean yeah exactly once you kind of have it in your head it can be yeah you know easily. so anyway I think it's important to just have a um, clear eyed sort of take in this and that doesn't necessarily mean that you are like Oh, I don't know what to believe. Like I, mm-hmm. I, I'm inclined to believe the victim, so mm-hmm. that's what I believe. Um, but I also know that I don't know for certain anything. So mm-hmm. I think it's important to keep those two things in your head when you're watching mm-hmm. anything about something that you basically just have an informed opinion about. Anyway. It's pretty, I mean, I think it's pretty, um, I mean, I think it's pretty interesting. I was thinking about watching it. I, I recommend it because well. I'd love to talk about it with more people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, this, I mean, yeah, I've, I've read a lot about this case over the years. And, mm-hmm. um, I, I, you know, and I, I don't know, at least I, I used to be a big fan of Woody Allen's work. So, you know, I've like found this all very You know, I've only seen horrifying. one, I've only seen one Woody Allen movie. It was What's Up Which Tiger one? Lily. Isn't that so random? I've never even seen that Annie Hall. 
I don't even. And now it's too late. I'm not going to watch Annie Hall now. Right, right. <laughs> what's What's up, Tiger Lily? About it was so weird. It was a really weird one. I remember liking it. I saw it when I was like 21, maybe. Huh. Um, yeah, it's kind of like how I like to troll our our friend Alan with the fact that I've only <laughs> ever seen one Martin Scorsese movie, and it's uh, The Last Waltz, his documentary about the band. <laughs> I've literally band. never seen yeah. any Martin Scorsese movie besides that. Never seen Goodfellas? No, I've never seen Goodfellas. Oh, I've never seen Amanda. I've like name name a Scorsese movie. Ooh, I have not seen you it. You would like Goodfellas though. You would I think really I like would, Goodfellas. but now it's become one of those stupid Amanda things where I'm just like, I'm never gonna watch a Martin Scorsese movie. Oh man, Goodfellas is so much fun. I'm it's so I'm much like familiar fun. with Goodfellas. Like the, the You would meme. also like Shutter Island. Oh man. Yeah. Okay. You know the, um, the meme after the Capitol attacks where they were like um arresting everybody at the airports that had all, yeah. that had participated and they did the voiceover um though similar to the end of goodfellas i got that joke because i knew the yeah you know anyway <laughs> right 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 with the song playing yeah yeah with yeah, the, yeah yeah with, yeah, yeah, with, layla. with layla play yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> the piano part <laughs> uh all right well uh depressing yeah all around but all around watch depressing. it and let me know what you think yeah, yeah, I, I think I will. Um, I uh, I also, I watched also something that I found very, uh, I had pretty mixed opinions about, also a depressing subject matter. Um, I watched It's a Sin on HBO, which has been getting a lot of attention. I've been seeing stuff about that. And I was yeah, about so... It. It, it's a British show, and uh, it aired on HBO Max in the U.S., but it was on Channel 4 in England. And in England, this became uh, the most watched drama ever on Channel 4. Um, That's when crazy. It debuted. I think it debuted in December, maybe, in Britain. Um, and it is about the kind of dawn of... of the AIDS crisis um, in London. Oh, that is depressing. It is depressing, but it's largely, I mean, I think what's a lot of, what's great about the show, and I think there was a lot that was great about it in addition to a lot that was flawed about it, but um, I, what was great about it was there's so much um, humor and joy in it. Um, and, and, you know, so it's basically, it's a five episode series and kind of going from like 1981 or so through like 1980, maybe even into the early nineties. I can't totally remember when, um, the show ends, but it's, it's well before we get the, um, kind of rise of, of like actual treatments for for AIDS. So I think it I think it ends sometime in the in the mid to late eighties. Okay. Um, and so I mean I I guess so the, the the series is by Russell Davies who created Queer as Folk, um, which was I was going to say pretty... that name sounds super familiar. Yeah, he also did many seasons of Doctor Who. Um, but he he created he he's a gay man. He created Queer as Folk, which is I mean groundbreaking uh, for being the first show really um, that that was about um, like a gay community. Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, when it, it was on originally British TV in the late 
90s and um and then also more recently he did uh a very british scandal which i really loved with hugh grant uh, which was based on this uh, whole true um story about a british mp who has an affair with uh, this young man um that was on it a couple was, um, years ago it was what's his face um it was ben uh yeah both of them are great so i mean most of russell davies work is about kind of queer queerness and queer communities and um you know that informs a lot of his a lot of his work so this is a very personal story to him so he kind of acknowledges that this i mean he was a young gay man in the early 80s um and had a lot of friends who did die of aids and he kind of acknowledges that this is no no only i think one character in this series is like specifically based on someone that he knew um but you know i think a lot of these people are are supposed to be composites of you know different people but um it is it is it's really sad um and but you know again like what like i was saying i mean i think what's really great about it is at the beginning of the, the show is these young men moving to london from different parts of the uk or england or um i think maybe one was already living in london but uh you know and and becoming you know coming out you know like coming from families where they you know in communities in high school or whatever where they obviously in like the late 70s or you know weren't were closeted um and then kind of moving to london and meeting each other and um living you know like having sex and going to clubs and mm-hmm. working at bars and you know and and so really just having a lot of fun and, and in the first episode you know aids is really barely even a specter um and then as the show kind of uh progresses you know it become looms larger and larger and and again and then uh you know some characters you know of course this is a show about the gay community you know i mean some some characters die of aids um and yeah i mean i think the acting is wonderful the the actors are really fantastic all of these young men um and then there's um also a friend of theirs a woman who uh plays a central role as well um i don't really know that i'm like the best person to you know sort of critique this story necessarily but i Mm -hmm. did want to plug some of the things that i had read um that i thought were really great including primarily um a british writer named brian mullins um mullen who wrote both a a a article about the show for the la times and then he has a Substack where he wrote a much longer piece called um how'd you get it such a shame you said he's Um, british he's british yeah and he is also hiv positive um and so he wrote a really the his substack piece in particular is is really interesting and a really um i you know i think i watched it and i was like okay there were things i didn't like about that and a lot of things i did and then it's one of those pieces and then it's kind of like when you watch a thing and then you you read something critical about it and a lot of things start to <laughs> you know you're like oh you know what yeah mm-hmm. yes. i see that you yeah. know yeah. and so I, I definitely had a, a, a an experience like that with this especially one thing that he talks a lot about in his substack piece is this kind of um this this trope uh of of works 
creative works about AIDS where there can be this trope of kind of the the luridness or the uh, of the how do you get it story as if it's almost like a titillating reveal, you know, and and he finds that um, yeah. just so besides the point and also, you know, in a lot of and, and oftentimes finds it offensive to well yeah because it doesn't matter how center you got it. the these... point is that anyone could have gotten right. it doing the exact exactly. same yeah yeah exactly and, yeah. and you know he talks a lot about um it doesn't matter how how you got it you know kind of a prevailing um you know a prevailing slogan in 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 gay communities in the 80s um act especially activist communities was was that um everyone with aids is innocent and Right, you know, because the whole point have... of an epidemic is that it's not about individual behavior. It's it's, it's spreading about also about government failures, right? Yeah, you know, so... and and that's really, you know, particularly of course with AIDS, you know, both in the U.S. and in uh, horrifically with with Margaret Thatcher's government as well. Um, yeah, and and so you know, I think a lot of the other critiques that he and and other writers have brought up with this show are, are really that the show kind of winds up putting a lot of the blame for for these for you know the both the spread of aids and and like kind of it winds up putting a lot of the blame at the feet of these families that rejected their their children or their or their brothers or their oh you know interesting and and you know i think that's a perspective, a very personal perspective. Again, if you had lived through the 1980s that maybe you could come out with, you know, I think very crucially, this is not. And, and I listened to an interview with Russell Davies as well, where he was like very much, you know, he does not do activism, AIDS activism in his work. Um, I think kind of famously, which I didn't watch Queer as Folk, but I have now learned that kind of famously, like, you know, it, for a, for a TV show about a gay male community at the end of the 90s, Queer as Folk didn't mention AIDS at all. Not wow. even once. Not I never AIDS either. Activist. I didn't realize that. I've never seen the American version either, um, which kind of is funny because it sort of seems like it really would have been my thing, actually, like <laughs> when I was I in know, school. I know, because you love the L word, didn't you? I, I know, I love the L word. I love like kind of campy um uh and i'm not just like, like equating this. those two things together no but they are kind of lgbt but i remember like in college like that was the thing like all my friends like we, they would get together watch like queers folk and then the l word and i think it was because mm-hmm. it was very much a college like um you know people that are like you know these were friends that were like coming out or like yeah and like, it's about young people i mean about their sexuality right. and so like, those folk, two shows allowed yeah. them to do that so yeah, yeah totally and i think and it was very novel at the time, you know, um, you know, in, even in the early 2000s. Um, and so, you know, I, I think so this so so there again for this uh, even more so than Chris Fogg, obviously, for this being a show about AIDS in in the 80s. There's very little about any kind of activism at all. There's like one sort of throwaway scene with a protest Um and and you know and I listened to this interview with Russell Davies in it, and his perspective on this was that I wasn't making a show about AIDS activists. I was making a show about what he said. I I, I this interview actually really kind of put me off. <laughs> it was an interview on um, 
uh, on uh, Variety, Vanity Fair's Little Gold Men podcast. Um, and uh, and anyway, but he was like, I, I was making a show about everyday people, not about activists, you know? And, and so that just didn't really, it didn't really play into the story that I was trying to tell. And, and so I think, you know, whereas a lot of people would say, well, you put the, you put the blame for a, for a pandemic like this at the foot, you know, of, of the government and the failures of, you know, in America, the failures of the FDA and of Reagan. And, um, but this show there very explicitly puts the, the pandemic at the fault of, of, you know, I mean, of course, broadly, it's not literally one character's mother's fault, but kind of she gets blamed for her son's death in a way by a character who's, who's grieving. And, and it's, and it's a note that, and kind of, it's a weird note to arrive at. It's sort of positioned as sort of a thesis statement, the, it's the also, way it arrives it's also in the really show. It's also really ahistorical. I mean, you can't, individual, like, Exactly. Just... I mean, and we are talking, I mean, in the show, we're talking about a, a woman who has rejected her son's lifestyle and, and has really done some terrible things, you know, while caring for and, and grieving the loss of her son, um, you know, from, from AIDS. And, and I think, like, I, it just is a weird, it's a weird kind of conclusion to me. You know what that weirdly reminds to me To arrive of? at. Um, and there, this is this is not like an actual equivalence because the the victims in these two scenarios are very different in their culpability. But it reminds me of like that trope in a lot of TV shows where there's this really horrible bully, like a really violent bully, where he's like you know hyper masculine and mean, and then you find out um, later that he's abused by his dad. Mm-hmm. And I hate that because it's kind of like giving. It's because it's it's not it's not wrong that oh this kid should never have been abused and that's an actual tragedy but it's removing it's separating the actual actions um, of the main character you know or there it's linking it to mm-hmm. something else and in this case I mean obviously an epidemic is not the same thing right and the the people who died of AIDS it's not big they're they're not the bullies right but um, it's a sort of like oh let's find something bad that happened to them and mm-hmm. focus on that instead of the real issue. So the real issue and like bullying narratives or like abusive, you know, storylines is like, Oh, well, you know, toxic masculinity and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. There are plenty of people that are, you know, maybe victims of abuse that don't act this way, you know? Mm-hmm. And the story then becomes just like, never, you never know what other people have been through. And which is just like right. not the point. And in this case, it's like, yeah, it was bad for her to treat her son this way and do all this. But that's not that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about yeah. an epidemic that was where, of people that were left behind because of, you know, X, Y, Z. So, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, also, you know, people are still responsible for I don't know. It was it was a weird it was a weird note to. Yeah. Like I said, to sort of arrive arrive at but i mean that said you know i thought a lot of the show was really powerful um 
I think the other thing that really kind of struck out to me, unfortunately, is like there's kind of this another kind of trope of like the female best friend who like she doesn't really get her own story at all. She's just sort of there to like help her gay friends um, and and kind of. I guess that's a fun like upturn on the whole the the gay male best friend in yeah heterosexual I mean, rom-coms <laughs> totally totally yeah it, it kind of it kind of is the inverse of that right and like you know i wish it's a fun it's an interesting it's a it's played wonderfully by the actress who who, who plays this woman and, and and this is the character that is based on someone that russell davies really knew um and and that woman that he knew actually is funny plays this character's mother in the in the oh um, that's funny in the show which is sweet um but you know it's just she just kind of is like this florence nightingale you know that's just kind of like there to like help them and sort of uh try and keep a level head and make them see the kind of mm-hmm. you know see things as they are and it's it's like a little bit like I, I I thought she was a great actress, but um I think her name's Lydia West, but I was like very tired of like I was very tired of this character by by the gotcha. end just in that yeah. you know, yeah. but I mean I I think that it's really worth watching. It's been such a huge hit in in England. I didn't know until now. That I'm this so is... surprised. Why do you think that? Well, so is. apparently, so what's interesting? I didn't I didn't know this because there's been so much. There's been, the, you know, there's been so much um, art created, I think, is particularly film and, and television um, in the U.S. about about the AIDS uh, epidemic. And and apparently in U.K. media, this is really not the case. And there has not been much of anything. Um, you know, there hasn't been a British Philadelphia or a British. Oh, I mean, there was Queer as Folk. Interesting. There was Queer as Folk. And, and I'm sure there have been other TV shows along the way that, you know, involve gay communities and things like that. But but there hasn't been a, 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 Brit, a story um, putting, putting AIDS in a British context. There has not been. That hasn't happened before, um, which I, I didn't. I didn't realize. I didn't know that. I mean, um, I didn't even know until you started like talking about this that Queer as Folk was originally a British show. Yeah, I actually didn't know that for for a long time either, and I think I and I forget it a lot actually until I had read this. But I mean, you know, we the, I, I've seen this show compared a lot to a movie that I saw a few years ago um, called BPM Beats Per Minute, which was about the French um, the the French uh, act up um activist uh collective oh, and, yeah and yeah. it's a really great movie and um you know i don't think also that that uh before that movie there had been really much of um you know again putting putting aids in a french context uh either in 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 uh in movies or television and so this is i mean i think that's one that's so interesting because really i would have never off. yeah i would have never like thought I mean, and I don't think that's what you're saying, that the U.S. had done a particularly good job in um, uh, looking back at the AIDS crisis. Yeah, I, but, mean, I mean, you know, there's, but it's interesting there's works that like Angels in America. Possibly a better job. Yeah. Totally. I mean, 
you know, there are works like Philadelphia. I mean, Philadelphia. Like, like I, we watched problems. that. Yeah, but we we watched that in like eighth grade in like yeah. in school. You know, I mean, right. Well, there's yeah. there's the boys. Uh, I mean, there's uh, the band played on, which which is a great. Uh, mm-hmm. well, I mean, I don't know. It's actually not that great, but I have kind of a soft spot for uh, the HBO uh, movie version of that, which came out also in the mid or late nineties, but. You know, I mean, Angels in America, I think, is kind of the seminal American work. I also about, think that the you know? that rapid um, change in public opinion about gay rights from mm-hmm. over the last, like, 15, 20 years, like, it just, mm-hmm. it, how absolutely insanely quickly that happened, um, mm-hmm. like, the change in public opinion made, at that time that was happening, like, the it sort of shifted the way people looked at the AIDS crisis is being more of, and I'm absolutely not an expert, so I probably shouldn't be like saying these things, but just, it seems to me that there was a moment where all like collectively were like, that was tragic and not something like voyeuristically tragic, like something truly tragic. Yeah. And I mean, but also I think the important thing about now is like, you know, in, in first world countries, AIDS is no, no longer a death sentence, right? It's yeah. not even, and in fact, now we have, we have drugs like PrEP, you know, yeah. that, that make it so that you can, uh, you know, have sex and not worry about, you know, even if you're HIV positive, you cannot worry about, you know, like, I mean, it's like, there's, there's so much treatment for it now that I think the, you know, I think, you know, right. I think the concern is that, well, people sort of, um, forget the history of, of yeah. how awful horrific it really Truly, yeah. was you know right, and, right, and i right. think this is like um uh, this is you know kind of also russell davies um you know attempt to to make sure that we don't don't forget um yeah. and and i and it, and again i think there's like it succeeds in in some places and doesn't in others but for five episodes i think it's totally worth watching you know each episode is is just an hour and and is it's very entertaining i think um and again the acting is really wonderful and and a lot of it is is really very powerfully moving Mm -hmm. i just think i think i don't to me it didn't really stick the landing at the end but um you know it's i think it's it's very good there's a lot a lot to think about there um that's cool. So yeah, we, it's we actually, actually, I mean, there's definitely a ton that I need to learn about it. I know. So, yeah, again, and yeah. I had like no idea that, that this really hadn't been explored much, um, again, in a British context before, which is wild. So, um, I don't know. We talked a lot about more about those shows than I thought we would, actually. <laughs> I think we were like, this yeah. will be a very short episode. Um, and then we <laughs> had a lot is. to talk it's about. It's impossible. It's impossible. I think um, that the, um, you know, I don't know, we kind of mentioned the Golden Globes before, and I, I, I truly think there's, like, nothing worth talking about here. Um, I, yeah, I turned it on, because um, mm-hmm. I got, I was like, forget what I was, I think I was watching the end of Search Party, and I got a push alert um, from the New York Times being like, watch our live analysis of the Golden Globes. I'm like, oh, the Golden Globes are on. And so I like went over to the TV and I turned it on and I literally watched eight minutes before I was like, I can't do this anymore. I this heard is painful. It was, I, yeah, I heard it was painful. That's like what I was like. I, if I just... I've been watching it with people, that could have been fun, but I'm just right. sitting there alone in my living <laughs> Which room. Which of course like, you're not. Yeah. So, <laughs> so weird. Yeah. It sounded just awful which is funny because i thought the emmys went pretty well you know all things considered when that was like sort of 
Yeah, I didn't virtual. watch that. Um, that ceremony, I thought they did pretty well, but this is like really just. I and also I couldn't help but this year. I mean, we the, the nominations for the Golden Globes are always batty. They're not super serious, you know. They're not like you don't listen to like oh this you know must be good. I mean, there's already we already don't even like necessarily think that about you know the Oscars, right? But the Golden Globes are even more just off the wall in what they decide to nominate. Um, this year's nominations were just... Really bad. It, it was like, I was like, I'm sorry, did a 12-year-old who doesn't understand what they're doing pick these? Well, like, the Emily in I Paris... kind of, yeah. The Emily in <laughs> which, Paris stuff, I'm just like, if you do that instead of Bridgerton, which is arguably more... Inv- I just... I Well, which we now know, because there's actually been, you know, all this reporting lately about, about the Hollywood Foreign Press Association and how, like, you know, Netflix took them all... Literally took them, like, all to Paris. And yes, I... A lot yeah, of the pay g- for gifts, play stuff. In addition to the revelations joke. that there aren't, like, basically, like, literally every single member of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association is white, you know? Like, yes. <laughs> I mean... Truly, a lot of uh, it's it's a lot a of joke. lot of shady shit going on here. But I mean, it I does... think that might be though why it didn't seem as um, good as the Emmys because besides the fact that they just did a, the, the broadcast itself was just really weird. The dif- different Zoom rooms, but like the 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 actual a Golden Globe itself didn't have doesn't have the same cachet as even these other problematic awards. Like it's still it just it's so meaningless, and then you're just it's just. Particularly for for television. Yeah, it's just meaningless. It's like, well, if you don't have the whole show centered around it, what's the point of the Golden Globes at all? Because these awards are just, it's just these white people were taken to Paris and then they nominated Emily in Paris. I mean, this is Right, and the nominees are just like, it was just like a bunch of like The Crown and, you know, Emily in Paris. And it's like, I mean, I like The Crown too. And I'm glad Gillian Anderson won because that was truly one of the most, uh, yeah, what a, a memorable performance to be sure. But I mean, it just, you know, I think, I think that like, you know, I May Destroy You, I think, was, like, widely thought of as as easily one of the, you know, best three shows of last year, if not the best show of last year, which, you know, I thought at least. And, you know, it's just not a single uh, ounce of recognition there for it. Really stupid. I was going to say, I do think that John Boyega winning for Small Axe is really wonderful. I've been watching Small Axe, um, which is great. I think kind of interesting um, its categorization both as like a it's a series it's five installments um, each with a different story and each is a self-contained thing Um, but I you know and a lot of movie critic associations have been kind of honoring individual I guess you would say installments and not episodes (laughs) episodes oh, <laughs> even okay. there's like some yeah. kind of like you know there's a lot of like is it film or is it tv but yeah which know, i find to be a really interesting conversation but, it yeah. is it is and it's like i mean it, it just doesn't it truly doesn't matter anymore and i didn't realize so i guess small acts can't be con- um is not a contender for any oscars 
um, because it was never intended to be in theaters. It was always intended to be on Amazon. So that. But isn't is that the... such a weird, arbitrary distinction? Like, well, you were never in theaters. Totally, like, especially so now weird. that we have. I mean, yeah, now that, especially now we have Netflix. You know, and you know, really competing for Oscars. Like last year with Roma, you know, they had to like, you know, there there are movies you know that they want to be considered. They have to just kind of put in theaters for the requisite number of days and locations so so that it can be considered. Um, Yeah, absolutely. It's like, you know, and so this winds up in the made for TV movie category, which just seems like sort of in some way, like it was beaten by Queen's Gambit. And like, I was just like, it seems wrong that these things are up against each other because like Steve McQueen is like an incredible director. And this is, these are really wonderful. I mean, if you haven't watched Small Axe, it's the uh, there. It's really wonderful. It's great. Um, but it it's like it's just so weird to me that this was beaten by <laughs> Queen's Gambit <laughs> at the Golden Globes. I'm like, what? Like they're not on. The <laughs> Why same are these plenty? things even in the same category? <laughs> right. They're just not. This is. These are not. These are apples and oranges. And I yeah, think that's it's weird. What's, so weird about the Golden Globes is because they have these weird distinctions that don't work like the comedy versus uh, musical or comedy versus drama and then they put things in random I mean I just think that they're all drunk I just think the entire Hollywood foreign press is just drunk all the time clearly whoever was like you know managing the the zoom uh, breakout rooms here probably was oh boy I I mean I do not you know what I can't even we having having to do some of this stuff at work like you know to, over the last year like i don't i don't um i don't envy anyone who had to this what a fucking nightmare it must have been to put this together i can't it's no just, it's actually kind of amazing it wasn't more of a disaster i know i don't ugh, god so i mean hopefully we never have to experience zoom golden globes again i hope god so forbid. Yeah. um or maybe Maybe we never have to experience them again at all. <laughs> I mean, honestly, <laughs> dare to dream. They're so, but they're usually so <laughs> funny because you're just like you don't care about, you know, who wins. Yeah. And I, but in this case, I'm just like, this is just. I, and like I pick things out of a hat. I guess that like also what they were trying to do was sort of like recreate some of that like Golden Globes magic of like you know where you see people going to other tables and stuff right yeah and like the TV stars hobnobbing with the movie star by like putting them in like these breakout rooms but like literally can you imagine anything worse than watching a bunch of people in Zoom it's just like a massive uh you know like just you like just not understanding i can't think of anything i would rather do less than watch (laughs) other people in a zoom right now yeah like i just because you're gonna just have all of the attendant anxiety that you usually feel in zoom when there's a lull in conversation you're like i should say something but what if someone starts saying something the exact same moment and then you don't know who to stop and you're just watching five celebrities make that calculation it's awful it's awful Ugh, on, te- on live television. Live someone television. To, someone tried to put me in one of my Zooms on in, on live television. I just, oh my god, I can't. Yeah, I would a definitely nightmare. just nightmare, nightmare yeah. fuel. Um, we're finally at the end. We are. So I guess briefly we can talk about what we're watching, and I don't. Do we have a not watching? Um, you know, I actually have a not watching 
I think that was previously a watching for me. Well, I was, the, I, the last time I was going to ta- ask you, is it the mayor show? No. Well, so I actually did watch two episodes of the mayor and I was oh, hoping did you? I was going to, cause I wanted to ask you about it. If you I know. And it, I was I hoping to watch more so that I could talk about it on this podcast, but then I just never got around to watching anymore. I actually liked the two episodes that I watched. Okay, cool. Okay. No, I'm glad to hear <laughs> um, that. I wanted to I ask for that reason. I want to see more. I have read such like negative things about it that like, I can't imagine that it, you know, it's just maybe not, I don't know. But I thought that the, the two I watched were not like, you know, wasn't like Kimmy Schmidt level or, you know, let alone 30 Rock level. But it was like entertaining. I, would, I was like, I would okay. watch more. So, you know. Okay. No, well, I had said that Clarice was going to be a watching. But then I found out that it's oh, not yeah. on CBS. It's on Paramount Plus, which is a, a new... <laughs> streaming network oh and I was God. just like absolutely not <laughs> you think you're getting me to subscribe to Paramount Plus are you insane it's so funny because yeah. isn't Paramount there's that channel that I always see on my TV and they're always playing Indiana Jones um, they're always playing uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark which I love and I get so excited even though I've seen it a million times you know when you see something that you like on TV you're like Twister's on TV I have to watch this even right <laughs> no, I've seen it yeah I need to watch it with Not commercial breaks yeah yeah so um every time I'm like like looking on the TV and like Indiana Jones is on and I'm like oh hell yes Raiders of the Lost Ark and I go and then it's like this requires a subscription I'm like and it's always paramount it's always this paramount yeah channel. I do think that they also have like a cable network so like what well, else do they need well they f need them f network. them for misleading me constantly into thinking I can Just... watch Indiana Jones with commercial breaks it's like CBS All Access. I don't know. I get. I think that this is replacing CBS All Access because why the fuck would CBS need two different streaming platforms? But um, Wait, it's CBS. Well, so there was already a CBS streaming platform, which was CBS All Access, which right, I, think I think is I where Star Trek. Still be subscribed to because I right, watch which Star is where Star Trek. Trek. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so I think that CBS All Access. I. I think it's that it has been rebranded as Paramount Plus. I don't think like That's I so hope weird. because I hope that there isn't an additional um, CBS streaming platform. But no, I think I think that it's that it it's just that. But I just get out of here. No, I still don't even understand things like Peacock, where like the networks have their own streaming networks, like. <sighs> I think it's, it's exhausting. For people, it's I think it's exhausting for, for me like, to even think about. Buy insane cable packages with like all yeah, the different things, and then you can get it for like not yeah. Yeah, a million things on it. I just <clears throat> so exhausting to even think about. Um, what you? But you had a watching. Oh my god! So this is gonna okay. So I discovered a new Acorn mystery show. So um mentioning this mostly for your mom hi gail um mm-hmm. there's a new show on acorn called and this okay this sounds this sounds like it's a show like bridgerton i swear to god it's not it's called miss scarlet and the duke i can't even say it without laughing hey this is future amanda it's not on acorn it is on pbs masterpiece um 
the other really cool channel you can get. It's <laughs> a, it's basically, it's just a detective show. This sounds show. like an episode of Bridgerton. I way. know, it really does. It, it's like <laughs> embarrassing to say. It's just, a, it's a Victorian detective show. I've watched the first episode and um, found it fun. And it's just um, a young woman whose father is a private detective. He's a former member of Scotland Yard and he dies. And then she's like facing destitution. So she decides to just take over the family business. But it's not done for young mm-hmm. women to be private detectives. So nope. anyway, it's no, very not. basic and stupid. And there's only going to be, there's like five episodes and I intend to watch them all. And that's what I'll be watching in the near future. Um, I'm sure I will watch something a little bit more erudite in over the next few weeks, but that's my immediate plan. Um, and when I say Miss Scarlet and the Duke, like the Duke is a police officer. That's his nickname. He's not actually a Duke. This is not nearly as trashy as it sounds, but it's, but I admit that it is very basic and just like that. Yeah. I, I love this name. Um, I just have to be honest. I just have to be honest with you people, you know? No, nope. I'm not gonna. You're I'm not just, gonna lie you o- to you all. No, you can only be what I'm doing. <laughs> Amanda. Yeah, you can only be Amanda watching Miss Scarlet and the Duke. <laughs> Don't say it out loud anymore. We said it <laughs> once, and that's quite enough. <laughs> yeah, it never needs to be uttered again. I will say that I did watch. Well, it's not quite yet a watching because it's too far off. Um, I did watch a trailer this week for a show that will be on AMC this summer, starring our very own Annie, what's her face? What's her last name? From Shit's Creek. What? Um, <gasps> Annie Murphy? Yes, Annie Murphy. Annie Murphy. Oh my God, she's um, such a hero. She's so funny. So this is a show called, it called? Kev- it's called Kevin Can Fuck Himself. Um, <laughs> I'm already laughing. <laughs> yeah, right? It, you know, and so well, you know of course Kevin it's is like, my favorite name. I did not know that. Oh, I want to name a dog Kevin. It's just the most That's like a great nondescript dog name. name. It's just like, yeah. hi, my name is Kevin. That tells you nothing. That's a great dog name. Um, it is pretty funny. I mean, either the trailer was really interesting. It's like a it's it's like a um, show that's sort of presented to you as a multicam like sitcom, but then you know about like you know the kind of like you know put upon wife and her stupid husband but then like the show is actually about her and she kind of like we go sort of in when we're looking at things from her point of view the show is suddenly like this very gritty it's like a totally different show oh um it's like this like very gritty kind of like murder you know like suspense shit and she's just like you know do you think it's called that because of what's Wait, who's the King of Queens? Oh, the King of Queens is, uh, what's his name? Kevin it's, uh, James? Kevin James, yeah. It's a Kevin. It, it it's a very Kevin. well may be, like, a sort of nod to that, because it's that same dynamic, you know? Yeah. Um, and so it kind of goes between a multi-family, you know, multi-cam sitcom and, like, a single-cam, like, you know, very gritty, like... You know, depending on on what aspect it. of the story, I thought it was it looked really interesting. So that's like you know, and so that's gonna be on AMC. Later. I thought the tra- yeah, watch the trailer because I thought the okay. trailer was a yeah, lot that of sounds fun. great. Um, looked pretty cool. Is it Canadian? No, no. Good for her. Uh, so she's doing. <laughs> she's moved on up to American production. That's that's so rude of me. That are not on you know made up networks like way to Riffle go or whatever the hell Shit's Creek was on. Um, Pop. 
pop right um also i just did not there is no trailer for this but i did just read something that was like the second season of i think you should leave should be debuting sometime <gasps> in 2021 oh my god so i don't know that doesn't have a date but i did just read it somewhere so Wow, that's exciting yeah that'll just get us through the next that'll get us right through on through getting to the vaccine is oh the gosh. promise of <laughs> more i think bones you can, are I think their you money i love yep. it bones are their money bones Amazing. are their money on that note on that note we can wrap it up sarah it's yeah. been real it's been a pleasure always a pleasure. as always you're a you're a duke and a scarlet <laughs> <laughs> I, hate it. I wish I'd never said anything. Oh, I'm going to be watching um, some more documentaries. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right, right. I mean, back to my yeah, highbrow <laughs> HBO documentary. <laughs> Furiously turning on Miss Scarlet and the Duke. Um, <laughs> uh, all right. All right. Well, I will talk to you next time. Ta-ta. Bye. Good night.